Psalm 50. And uh, let's look at that. Let's look at verse 15. We're going to read a verse and and jump in and um, just try to be an encouragement to you tonight if I can. If the Lord will let me do that, that would be my desire. Psalm 50 and verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Let's read that again. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. I'm going to talk to you about having a heart for God, which I think is the place where prayer begins. And uh, there's a lot of thinking about prayer that I think is misguided, if nothing else, superficial, self-centered. And uh, before the sermon, I'll say this, and I'll say it several times probably during the sermon. I think you'd be better off to to pray about superficial, unimportant things than to not pray at all. You agree with that? Praying for a parking place at Walmart. That's better than not praying. But I've got to believe that as we mature as Christians, there are better things to pray for than a parking place at Walmart. Right? You look at the prayers of the Apostle Paul, for instance... And look at what he prayed for. I think your pastor has pointed out the difference in his prayers in the average missionary prayer letter. I've heard him point that out numerous times. If Bill Gates could answer all your prayers, that might tell you something about your praying, right? I'll confess he can answer a lot of my prayers. <laughs> I don't know. We get too high. Don't get too haughty here, uh, but. This is something that I confess, I don't have all this worked out, but I believe there's a better kind of praying than most of us do. And it begins with a heart for God. And we have a tendency to want to get God tuned into what we want and try to get Him on our channel. And if we do this and this and this, then we'll kind of tie God's hands to do what we want Him to do. And... I don't want to tell you that God's not going to do things for you because He will. He'll do things for you that will amaze you. Things that are incredibly gracious, completely unexpected. But there are other times in life when you're going to be left with nothing but a big question mark in, in your mind and in, your, in, in that place where your faith is stored. If you don't root your prayers and your expectations in the Scripture, all right? So we'll try to dig into that and uh, for a few minutes. All right, let's pray. Lord, we pray for help tonight. I pray that what we have to say will be profitable. When we get together with friends like this, it's so fun to just mess around and have, have fun and goof around. And I pray, Lord, that what we have to say would not be flippant, but it would be useful, profitable, and encouraging. We pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Is there anything more comforting than to know that God will hear you when you pray in times of trouble. Isn't that fundamental to our faith? If I get in trouble, I can go to God and He will hear me. Now, I will confess that prayer is certainly more than just a refuge for the desperate. But it is little more. Certainly fundamental to prayer is coming to Him in a kind of desperation. 
And maybe that's what keeps some of our praying from ever becoming significant praying because we're not that desperate as a general rule. Someone has said that prayer is that which splices our limp, frayed wire to the lightning bolt of heaven. Think of that. We have this tendency to think that we have what it takes or that we're bringing to the table some things that God really needs. Or maybe we're mature enough to say, I don't have all it takes, but I got a lot of good stuff. And when God gets a hold of me, He's going to really have something to use. But when it comes right down to it, without the Lord, we're nothing. Right? We're nothing. I think it's reasonable to assert that the Christian who never experiences anything in life other than what he can produce, or what his resources can produce, or what he and his friends can get together and produce, that Christian is not experiencing much. A.C. Dixon said it this way, when we depend upon organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we depend upon education, we get what education can do. When we depend upon man, we get what man can do. You've heard this before. But when we depend upon prayer, we get what God can do, right? Ian Bounds said the goal of prayer is the ear of God. To us, the goal of prayer is so often getting what we want. But the great thing about prayer is that God is hearing us. That He's listening to what we have to say. That He's interested in our lives. That it matters to God what matters to us. Or what matters to us matters to God. That's a big thing. Yes. Let me quote another who said it this way. Oh, how we need to wake up to how much nothing we spend our time doing. Apart from prayer, all our scurrying about, all our talking, all our study amounts to nothing. For most of us, the voice of self-reliance is ten times louder than the bell that tolls for the hours of prayer. The voice cries out, you must open the mail, you must make that call, you must write this sermon, you must prepare for the board meeting, you must go to the hospital. But the bell tolls softly, without me, you can do nothing. Let's look at Psalm 15, verse 15 again. Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. In this passage... God calls all of the earth to recognize that He will establish His kingdom and glory in perfect beauty. Then, He repudiates the insincere worship of the people of God at that time and He guarantees that in spite of the insincerity of their worship, He's going to get glory. Okay? Now, set in the middle of that, here's a, a coming great kingdom and God's going to establish it in perfect beauty. And yet there is insincere worship and it abounds. But in the midst of that glaring contrast is this verse that says, Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee. All right, let's think about it this way. In this one little verse, we have, first of all, the perils that we face. Call upon me in the day of trouble. All right, there we have the perils that we face, our trouble, our problems, our difficulties. Everybody here has them. 
All right? Somebody here may have a really big one. You may have something glaring and huge and overwhelming. Uh, my mother-in-law just had a horrible experience with breeding, bleeding on the brain. Um, both my mother-in-law and my father-in-law are in a nursing home together for the first time ever this week. That's heavy. It's rehabilitation, but they may or may not get out. It's heavy. They put their house up for sale in Florida, meaning we're not going back down there again. That era of life is over. That's heavy stuff. That's trouble. So I, I watch my in-laws and I, I watch them trying to plug into their faith. This faith that they've built and nourished all these many years. Man, they need it now as bad as I needed my faith two years ago when I came home to an empty house. It never stops. See? So this trouble the perils that we face. And then we see a second thing, the prayer of faith. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Okay, that's obvious. That's simple. Then there's the power of the Father. I will deliver thee. And there's the praise of the faithful. And thou shalt glorify me. Now, isn't this what you and I long for when we think about prayer? We want God to deliver us, don't we? All right? And, th- and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing shallow about that. There's nothing insincere about desiring that God move into your life in a strong way and, and, and fix some things that are broken, to strengthen some things that are weak. All right? And can I say this quickly? Don't think that praying is for the spiritual MVPs. The real praying is for the great Christians. Real praying for the preachers with the gray hair and the black Bibles. Praying is for saved people. Praying is what God's children do. They pray. They talk to God. They take their burden to the Lord and they leave it there. Right? And they pray when they're down. They pray when they're up. They pray when things are going great. They pray when things are not going great. They cry out to God. That's what Christians do. That's what saints do. But now consider something. If we're going to look at this verse, let's consider the context of the passage. That wouldn't hurt, would it? We're going somewhere, okay? All right? We're going somewhere. And it's not going to take me as long as it takes Brother Alter to get there. I promise you that. (laughs) Give him a word on that. So what is the theme of the passage? We do not have to be excellent theologians to figure this out. Look at verse 1. The mighty God, even the Lord. Hath spoken. Jump down to verse 2. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Verse 3. Our God shall come. We get the last word in the verse. Round about Him. Verse 4. He shall call to the heavens from above, that He may judge His people. Verse 5. A covenant with me by sacrifice. Verse 6. And the heavens shall declare His righteousness, for God has judged Himself. Verse 7, Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. And it goes on like that through the entire chapter. Verse 15, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. So the context of the passage is clearly the Lord. That reminds us of the statement we made earlier, or the Ian Bound statement, the goal of prayer is the ear of God. Now, have you considered that privilege 
of going into the presence of God and laying your request before Him. Now, you can pray as long as you want to and as much as you want to. Or you can pray as, as, as briefly as you want to. Now, I've heard preachers say or imply that if you're not praying an hour a day, you're not really praying. They don't have any Bible for that. That's a way to intimidate people and to beat them down and make them feel like less than a Christian if they're not doing it their way. If you remember, Jesus said to His apostles in the darkest possible hour, in the most in the most extreme difficulty of their of his earthly ministry, he said, could you not tarry with me for an hour? So in the ordinary shift and toil of life, we are admonished to continue in prayer, continue instant in prayer, the Bible says, to pray without ceasing. Meaning, Spurgeon talked about never praying through the night. I don't know that I've ever prayed through the night, Spurgeon said. But many times through the day, there are those short moments with God where there's the expression of a genuine, worshipful saint who calls out to God, who unburdens himself to the Lord because he's trusting in God and he has the ear of God. I'm not encouraging you not to pray for a long time. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's conclude these thoughts by considering what prayer looks like when it springs forth from a person's heart who has a heart for God. So in other words, in our passage here, we see the theme is God and His glory. God's kingdom is coming. And it's going to be a perfect kingdom, a wonderful, glorious kingdom. And in the middle of that is this this encouragement that if you call on the Lord in the day of trouble, He will deliver you and He's going to be glorified in that deliverance. So how do people pray who have a heart for God and His glory. How many of you think that a guy who is praying with a want list might pray a little differently than a guy who is caught up in the glory of God? His praying will be a little different. You agree with that? Okay. So let's look at the passage and see if we can unpack what that kind of praying is going to look like. All right? Let me say this. Those who have a heart for God, number one, pray with His purposes in view. Thank you that. When they come to the place of prayer, they are praying with God's purposes in view. Verse 1, The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun, even of the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before Him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about Him. And He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth, that He may judge His people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens shall declare His righteousness, for God has judged Himself, Selah. I believe that's a prophecy of, the, of His uh, coming kingdom, the tribulation period, the judgment that He's going to pour out on the world, and the establishment of His kingdom. I believe all that's in, implied in the text. So what we're seeing here is that God has a plan for His people. And this is what God's going to do. And the greatest kind of praying is the kind of praying that prays with that in mind. For the Israelite who's reading this text to pray well and to pray in faith, he prays knowing that God is at work on behalf of His own glory 
through Israel. And when they pray with that in mind, it changes how they pray and what they ask for. Amen. God has a plan and a purpose for every believer, which is ultimately the same, that would be conformed to the image of His Son. So that's a big picture, a general principle. All of our praying should be done with that in mind. Now, we could go on and on and on. There are other things that we could apply to that and break it down. But the point is, we pray with His plan in mind. I'm not saying that when you get up in the morning and say, Lord, should I wear this shirt or not? Obviously, I missed the tie thing. I completely blew it. I, I thought you didn't wear ties on Sunday night. So, see, look at me. I didn't pray about that, obviously. I didn't follow that admonition of the Lord. But I don't know that had I gotten up and prayed about this shirt, if the Lord would have said, no, wear a white one and a red tie. I, I don't know if I would have heard that voice or not. But... And I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do, but I, I've got... I, all right, I'll give you an example. I've got a friend who went through Bible college, and he said that he never got a job because he wasn't smart enough to go to school and to work, which I agree with. Um, <laughs> but he said that he was going to pray his way through Bible college, and he would go out into the woods with two Slurpees, one for him and one for God. Now, I know for a fact God never drank that Slurpee. I, I, I know that for a fact. And he prayed his way through Bible college and God supplied all his needs. Now, this is my skeptical nature coming out. People knew that about him. Everybody who knew him knew that's what he was doing. His family knew it. Everybody knew it. People sent the money and he got through college. I think a couple of his kids starved to death. But (laughs) now, I don't know that that guy was praying according to the will of God because I don't know if God told him to do that or not. Do you understand that? How many times have you heard people say, God told me to do this? I don't know that God told you to do that. I had a lady tell me before church when God wants us to sing this song today. Why did He not tell me that? (laughs) He knows I'm the pastor. Why would He tell you and not me? That stuff's just weird. (laughs) When we're talking about praying in the will of God, we're talking about what we have in our hands. Here's the will of God. Here's the plan of God and it's clear. And people who really get somewhere and they're praying, pray with this in mind. Let's elaborate. Go to Mark chapter 11 if you would. Let me emphasize something. I'm not telling you, I'm not trying to get in your head and get you all worried about praying about wrong stuff. Pray about anything and everything. But I'm telling you this. Mature Christians pray differently than new Christians. But what I want for my son is probably a little different than what he wants for himself right now. That's just the way it is. That doesn't bother me. It doesn't upset me. That's just the way it is. I see the world differently than he does. I'm getting uptight, more uptight by the day. <laughs> All right? So what God sees as important for me in his timetable is very different than mine. Now, Mark eleven twenty four. Let's look at this. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Alright? Look at verse 22. And Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. The context here is praying in faith. Now, some people think that means that if they muster up, if they... 
crank up enough expectation. God is bound to give them what they want. And they'll do that. They'll muster it up, muster I'm just going to believe. Right? You know, the whole faith and faith error. Well, I don't know what's going to happen, but i got faith. Faith in what? I'm just believing. Believe in what? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. What Jesus is saying here is that the prayer of faith is that kind of praying that prays based upon what God has said and what God has promised. And that's what we can expect and that's what we can pray for. Outside of that, you can't tie God's hands by mustering up some kind of a new age confidence. Alcoholics Anonymous say if you have faith you have faith in this microphone this can be your higher power as long as you have some higher power baloney faith in faith is is an error it's faith in God and His Word that gives us stability I'll give you another example go to John 14 how many of you have ever had faith in something you just knew you had it figured out and it didn't turn out at all like you thought it was going to have you ever had that happen sure all right? Sometimes we're wrong. The only thing that you can really stand on without wavering is the Scripture. Amen. Understood properly in its context, of course, right? All right, look at John 14, verse 12. John 14, verse 12 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Okay. I don't want to irritate anybody. I think I irritated somebody with this last week. So let me try to say it nicer than I said it last week. Praying in Jesus' name does not mean you've tacked a phrase onto the end of a prayer. I just did it when I prayed. I think, in Jesus' name, amen. That's just the way I do it. It's the way we've always done it. It's the way people do it. But that means more than just saying that. In other words, let's try it. Lord, I would like to have a bass boat. You know I love to fish. Please give me a new bass boat. Have it at Brother Jim's when we get there tonight. And I can, I got my trailer hitch and I'll take it home. In Jesus' name, amen. You can't possibly think that, that I'm going to have that, that boat's going to be there. So, well, if you had faith, you would. Oh, well. <laughs> that, that's not what that means. Let, let's, let's, to, let's say something even more outlandish. Let's suppose Brother Jim hired me to do some of the renovations here at the church. <laughs> All right, and let's say that down at the local building supply place, I don't know what those places are called. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, uh, Home Something Depot, I don't know. Let, let's suppose I'm going to go down there and I'm going to sign in Brother Jim's name. Okay. Or, or the deacons or whatever. And I'm going to sign in your name, the name of Grace Baptist Church. I'm going to sign off and bring the supplies here and do the work. Now, does that mean that I can go down there and in the name of Grace Baptist Church get a bunch of extra stuff to build myself something? Of course not. By doing it in the name of Grace Baptist Church, I have the backing of the church and the authority of the church and the agreement of the church and the resources of the church to do it because it's what the church wants done. When I pray in Christ's name, I am praying in sync with His plan. I'm, I'm praying in concert with His will for my life and with His plan and His purposes in eternity. That's what I'm praying about. That's what I'm praying for. Amen. 
That's why the Bible says, Delight thyself in the Lord and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. That doesn't mean He's giving you all the stuff you ask for. It means He's he's shaping what you desire. He's influencing what you long for. Yes. I do believe... How about this? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Is that some kind of magic potion that if you read enough Bible, then you can ask for anything and He'll give it to you? No. It means the more Bible you get in you, the, the better you pray. You pray differently when your heart is filled with and in, influenced by Scripture. Now, you know, people in our, in our, our culture who, who watch the TV preachers and they're, and they're influenced by prosperity gospel, and, and they hate this kind of preaching. They hate it because they feel like a, he, he's caused me to doubt God. I never said one thing tonight that should cause you to doubt God. I said some things that should cause you to doubt your own personal spiritual impulses possibly. Right? Think about this. Um, the Bible says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Right? Wasn't it, wouldn't it be a good practice for a faithful preacher to try to protect his people from false hope. And if you build up hope in your heart that, uh, you know, that this is going to be different this time. For instance, the subject of miracles would be a good place to go with that. We have this idea that God's just waiting to change all of our circumstances for us and work miracles for us. Now, God can work miracles, okay? He can. No doubt about that. But in the Scripture, there are three eras of miracles. Three eras. And the rest of the Bible is pretty much ordinary life, ordinary faithfulness. You've got the time when Israel's coming out of bondage, out of Egypt. There's a proliferation of miracles there. Then you have the time when there's a transition. That's a transition, by the way. There's a transition from the dynasty with Saul, David, and Solomon into that time period of the prophets, a transition. Now you have Elijah and Elisha. You have Elijah's miracles and then Elisha's double portion. Exactly twice as many miracles as Elijah. It's a transition. It's miracles. And it relates to Israel. Right? Then you have the apostles and the prophets. Miracles. Christ and the apostles. A transition from the Old Testament to the New. A time of miracles. The Bible says Jews require a sign. Is that right? All right. Tongues is a miraculous gift. And the Bible says that tongues are a sign. Jews require a sign. So the point is, while God certainly performs miracles now, there's nothing in the Bible that admonishes us to pursue miracles. We read in the Bible where Paul leaves uh, Trophimus and Miletus sick. He leaves them there sick. Paul prays for the Lord to remove a thorn in the flesh three times. The Apostle Paul, three times. And God says, no, no, no. My grace is sufficient for thee. Even the miracles that are performed, for instance, in the Gospels, are performed for a purpose. These are, are, are they're signs that affirm the Word. This is more important even than the miracles. Right? Okay. So people who have a heart for God pray with God's purposes in view. I had a conversation with a relative this week and she was talking about starting a business and she felt when she was doing it that it was a bad move and that there were some things involved that might not be the best things. But she wanted it so bad, she just forged ahead. 
And she was afraid to pray because she didn't want to hear the answer. You ever been there? You got your plans. You don't want to pray about it because you don't want God to tell you no. You don't want God to put a, shut the door. A lot of times if you got that problem in your head, you don't even need to pray about it. <laughs> you already know you shouldn't do it, right? So I don't know what's involved in your life right now, what you're worried about, what you're concerned about. And young people, you're going to be the worst at this for a while till you get some of it beaten out of you in life. Because when you're so young, you want what you want. You want it right now. And I understand that. I relate to that. I get that. But you will save yourself a lot of misery if you'll pray first and act next. And pray with God's plan and purposes in mind. Well, I don't want to do anything that's going to dishonor you. I don't want to do anything that's going to violate your plan for my life. Pray that way. Okay, second thing. This is, this is quicker. This won't be worser than that one, as we say. Uh, Psalm 50. Now, we notice that God's... The theme here is that God is going to establish His, His kingdom in perfect beauty and that He's gathered all the earth to hear that. Then He begins to rebuke them for their insincere worship. Verse 7, Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. So the Lord said, I don't need your sacrifices. I don't need them. I've got my own animals. All right, that's what he's saying. So in other words, the insincere worship's not doing anything. Verse 11, I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. There is nothing more indicative of a genuine Christianity or genuine spirituality here in this context, genuine faith before God than gratitude, thanksgiving to God. You can't fake thanksgiving. You can say thanks and not mean it, but you can't fake thanksgiving. And so I would say secondly, people who pray with a heart for God pray with an internal sincerity without regard for dead ritualism or dry routine. Now think of that. If you're going to revolutionize your praying and your heart for God in this new year, a good way to start would be, first of all, pray with God's purposes in mind. Shift your focus on that more. Seek for that. Look for that in the Scripture. What is God's plan for every believer? Start there, okay? And begin to put your attention on that as you pray. And as you seek the Lord. And then, number two, be genuine when you pray. Alright? Isn't that what the Bible means when it says, They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth? Do you know you can be dogmatically rigid in your religious habits and be far from God? One author said this, Prayer that is thoughtless and detached is offensive to God and should be offensive to us. You think that's true? Prayer that is thoughtless and detached is offensive to God and should be offensive to us. Amen. Let me read you a Spurgeon quote. I went to breakfast with Buddy and one of his friends one day and he told, he told his friend, he said, you watch this, my dad's going to quote Spurgeon before breakfast is over. 
He did. And we, 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 we didn't eat long enough. I said, hey, guys, check this out. And I quoted Spurgeon. That was a good moment. Anyway, <laughs> Spurgeon said this. Did you ever stand in a Roman Catholic cathedral and watch the daily service, especially if it happened to be on a holiday? There are those who carry candlesticks, those who carry crosses, those who carry cushions and books, those who ring bells, those who sprinkle water, those who bob their heads, those who bow their knees. The whole scene, if very strange to look at, very amazing, very childish. One wonders when he sees it what it is all, what it is all about and what kind of people are made better by it. One wonders also what idea Roman Catholics must have of God if they imagine He is pleased with such performances. What must His glorious mind think of it all? So I would say this. If you feel like in the new year you need to pray more, great. But pray with meaning. Right? If you feel like you need to pray often, great. But pray with observation. If you want to pray more frequently, I wouldn't be opposed to that, but pray with fervency and with faith, aware of the fact, plugged into the fact that you are talking to God, that prayer, the goal of it, is the ear of God. Pray longer. That's, that's fine if you think that's necessary, but pray longingly. At some point, long praying becomes, if you're not careful, vain repetition. Right? Pray daily, but pray with delight in the Lord and in His will and what you can expect from Him. Pray instantly, but pray with inspiration. Are you praying? Are you talking to God? Sometimes I feel like there's a Christian or two in every church like this who's thinking, who, who looks at praying like they look at their budget or their, their workout you know, goals for the year and you know, everybody needs to lose weight and manage their money. And man, there's nothing worse than those two things. Right? I hate both of those. And, and, and so you plan it. And, and, and I have a tendency to overplan because I like to think and, and dream big and plan. And then I overplan and it's too much. Can't do it. You have to be, you know, some kind of a, of a financial genius to keep up with all of my ideas. I don't do any of them. And then we're right back in the mess we were in, you know, last year. That's my biography. Right? You know, I, I need, you need to lose some weight and feel better and get healthy. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to be, you know, uh, who's that Armstrong guy on the bicycle? What's that guy's name? Yeah, I'm going to be Lance Armstrong in a week. You know, and you kill yourself. It, 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 then you quit. My dad is 70, right at 67, 68, and he started the P90X thing. <laughs> and he was determined he was not going to quit. I mean, he wore it out. He said, man, I dreaded going home. I'll drive around and put off going home because I knew I'd go home and do that. That's too much. <laughs> I do that when my wife's in a bad mood. I drive around, <laughs> pray for God. But don't make prayer like that. Okay, I'm not trying to minimize prayer. I do believe there are times when, when you're, going to, you're going to need to labor with God in prayer. But the circumstances, I believe, the circumstances will necessitate those times. There are enough burdens in life, enough stresses, enough dark hours that will push you into long, impassioned praying. You don't have to conjure it up. You don't have to make it up. If you're happy, be happy. And talk to God through the day. Pray about things that are on your heart. You don't have to work up depression to pray well. <laughs> Trust me on that. 
I told a friend of mine the other day, I said, man, I, I've, been, I've written so many songs in the last two years. I got nothing now. I can't write anything. I'm so happy. He said, well, man, write a happy song. I said, I hate happy songs. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to write a happy song, you know. Yep, na, 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 na. I have no interest in that. What I'm trying to say is don't talk yourself out of praying because you don't feel like a, you're a super Christian. Have you ever done that where you get down and you pray and you pray and you pray for everybody you know and all the missionaries and their wives and their kids and their families and everything you can think of to pray, your long list, and, and you say, boy, I bet I've been praying for 30 minutes. And you look at your watch, you've been praying for three minutes. You're like, good night. It's like being on a treadmill. You know, anybody who thinks a minute is a short amount of time has never been on a treadmill. I get on, I say, don't look down, don't look down. Okay, I'm going to listen to three songs before I look down. Oh, it's awful. Praying doesn't have to be that way. Well, I read about, you know, well, this great saint from the past, and he prayed for hours in the snow. He had mental problems. <laughs> Seriously. He had a screw loose. Anybody walks around in the snow has got a screw loose. Unless they're hunting. Yeah, pray in the house, you weirdo. So... I'm not being irreverent. I promise you I'm not. If you have a burden that drives you into long praying, do it. But don't think you're less Christian because you're just happy with things. By the way, some decisions might actually make you happy and be okay to make. Don't be morbid. Life's hard enough without thinking up stuff to be miserable about. Okay? Pray. And pray with inner sincerity. Just put it all out there before the Lord. And pray for His purposes for your life. And then finally, verse 16 says, But unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes? Or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? See thou hatest instruction, and castest my words behind thee. When thou sawest a thief, then thou contendest with him, and hast been partaker with adulterers. Thou givest... Thy mouth to evil and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done. And I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. You got to be careful about thinking God's like you. But I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. And to him that ordereth his conversation aright, will I show the salvation of God. Pray. People who have a heart for God pray with praise on their lips. When, when you have a heart for God, you're going to want to share that. What's in you is going to come out. Right? What's important to you will become a part of your conversation. Praise is defined as commendation bestowed on a person for his personal virtues or worthy actions, on meritorious actions themselves, or on anything valuable, approbation expressed in words or song. Praise has nothing to do with how you feel. You don't come to church and sing these songs because you feel all fired up to do it. You sing them because He's worthy. And if you have a heart for Him and you're doing the first two things we talked about, praying with God's plan in mind and then making sure that your praying is sincere, that your, your, your heart's in it when you pray, there will be praise on your lips. 
we were getting ready to begin the process of making some of these changes, uh, I remember thinking at a hard moment, I've been preaching the grace of God for, for a long time, 30 years. And I, I was thinking, I wonder if there's going to be any of that for me. Am I going to have any of that available? It wasn't long after I had that thought that I began to notice it. And I began to see the things that God would do to make me feel better about things. Just to give me some wind in my sails, some air in my lungs. So I could go a few more steps and get back up again. His grace is sufficient. And when you have those moments, you'll want to praise Him. You'll want to share that with other people, right? Yes. Pray with praise on your lips. Draw nigh to Him this year. Don't complicate prayer. It's not complicated. It's not geometry. It's desperate people crying out to God. Right? Be careful for nothing. How's that for a command? Don't be full of care for, for anything. Nothing. Right? My kids all get on a rickety van and head off for some crazy place on the other side of the world. They're all in one van and Buddy's driving. <laughs> and I'm not supposed to be full of care. <laughs> you know, they're away from you. Somebody else is preaching to them. Yeah, you wonder about that. My dad called me today and said, during the service today, he had a visitor there and he saw Buddy go to him during the invitation and open his Bible and ask him if he was saved. Now, that, you know, I'm not pumping Buddy up, but that's a blessing to hear remotely, right? That your, your kids are trying to serve the Lord where they are. You know, God's been doing this without my help for a long time. So I, I don't get much done trying to get God on my channel. I, I need to just get on His. And trust Him and pray with His plan in mind. Pray sincerely when I pray. All right? You get that, young people? God cares about your concerns. Give them to the Lord, whatever they are, as bogus and lame as they may seem to be. If it's your burden, it's burden enough to give to the Lord. And give it to Him in sincerity. The Bible says with prayer and supplication. Right? And then the peace of God shall keep your hearts. All right, keep you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for the word of God.